Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery. This is Anne. I have Miss C back on today's episode to continue her story. If you have not heard the beginning of her story, go to our website, btr.org. You can find this podcast episode and then it'll have the links to the first part of her story. Listen to that first before you join here. Before we get to her, I know summer is super hard and we are here for you. Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group has multiple sessions a day in every single time zone. You can join on your phone. You can join on a computer. What you will get is women who care, who want to see you. We recommend that women join no more than one session per day. I've been joking around lately saying, you know, women in trauma, I've been there. You know, I've been there. You've heard my story. If you haven't heard my story, you can start at the beginning of the podcast, like the oldest podcast first and listen to it here. And sometimes that's um, a better way to listen to it because you can hear the changes in my voice and how... I have become more confident and learned so much, but I only know what I know now. But um, back in the day when I was critical systems only, which every trauma victim should go through probably in order to heal, I would do like ridiculous goals for myself that were awesome. Like I am going to watch all seven seasons of The Good Wife, or I am going to go for a five minute walk every day. Um, We see the most progress with women healing when they listen to the podcast every week, when they attend group sessions as needed, and then when they take some space to like apply the things they learn outside of group. That's really important. There's many reasons why we don't recommend more than one session a day, but we're here for you. And if you go to our website, btr.org, you can see our session schedule and we'd love to see you in a session today. I got a super interesting email from an abuser. This is what he said. And I wanted to write and thank you for your podcast. I am a sex addict in recovery. It has been important to me in my recovery to understand the complete depth and breadth of the trauma I am responsible for. In the last 15 months, yay COVID, I have learned much more about the impact addicts have on their partners. I have recently found your podcast and it is a resource I would recommend to all addicts ready to understand the impact of their actions. All of that learning has come outside my 12-step fellowship. I am incredibly disappointed. SAA has so few resources and tools about the trauma we have created. I have noticed over the last few months how in our recovery community, we avoid the word abuse or perpetrator because the addict may not be ready for it, in quotes. He says that in quotes. Or her reaction is her reaction, and that's not my side of the street. One of the tools of the program is the three-second rule, and because of your podcast, I'm reminded how the conference-approved tool reinforces that we as addicts, quote, can't control ourselves, quote, and are, quote, powerless over our thoughts to objectify women, quote, and reinforces sexualization of women. I suppose it's important to acknowledge we can fall into patterns of objectifying, but this tool reinforces we can't help it, he put that in quotes, and that our best option is not to look. So I think he's talking about the podcast episode I did with Sheila Gregoire about every man's battle. Then he goes on to say, I realize I have complained here. My intent is to say thank you for the teaching you are doing, which is not happening in the SAA recovery community. I wanted to express gratitude for the podcast. It has helped me in my recovery. Knowing the damage I have done, I want to advocate in SAA for better education for those of us who have betrayed our wives. And tools like this are helpful for the people who have perpetrated abuse like myself who want to, and I would argue should, understand what they've done. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. This exact reason is the re- this exact letter is why we only recommend Center for Peace for 
recovery from being an abuser because it's the only program that we know of that treats the pornography use and the sexual acting out as an abuse issue. It is an abuse issue. Center for Peace is the only program that we recommend. You can find out more at cenfp.org. Center for Peace only takes five men at a time, and those seats go super fast. That means right now, currently, when I'm recording this, of course, things evolve here at BTR, so it could change at any time. But right now, today, we can only take 20 men a year. That's five every 12 weeks. So when those calls go out that we're starting the next session, like getting everything in order and making sure that you've got a spot, this is a really serious program. It's really important for Coach Joy to have that intake session, and that is a lot of her time, so that people can make sure they know what they're getting in for. It's not an easy program. It's a year-long program, and it's, it's the most intense program out there and was designed to make sure that men are committed to a year because abuse is a long-term issue, and it takes a long time. So to get updates about when... Joy is taking on new clients for Center for Peace and other updates like the weekly podcast and everything like that. Join our email list at the bottom of any page on BTR. You go to the bottom and put your email in. Join our community. Okay, now we're going to continue the conversation with Miss C. Many of you remember a while ago we had Miss C on the podcast. She was sharing her story. Our interview was interrupted. And so if you have not heard those episodes, please go hear those first. You can find the links to the previous episodes on our website, btr.org. Go listen to the beginning of her story and then join us here. Right when we were interrupted, Miss C was going to talk about how she found betrayal trauma recovery and how that helped her change her perspective. So let's start there. How did you find betrayal trauma recovery? What happened that made that possible for you? Well, I think like anybody, when you're going through something, you're looking for help. You're looking for just anything to guide you to the next step because it's also confusing. Plus, there's so much shame connected with it that it's not, how do I make spaghetti sauce? your friends or anything like that so you kind of go incognito in a way and go do searches and I just happened to pop online and I just typed in different things and there was multiple helps out there books and I just happened to come across a video and it was an introductory video for a course where it talked about pornography and trauma and it was the first time that I had ever like seeing those two words put together and it was that word that actually drew me in to betrayal trauma recovery because no one else like said that recognized acknowledged that to go through this and to repeatedly go through it and basically almost alone it's traumatic you're constantly questioned how you feel as a woman as a mother as a wife it hits you on every level and so I remember it's been a while but I do remember I watched the first two or three episodes and I remember feeling like yes like yes it acknowledged the pain it acknowledged the shame it acknowledged the betrayal it acknowledged the true trauma of it to to put the word trauma to it really really opens you up and speaks of a pain that goes beyond 
what anybody has ever described before. It's almost like, oh, well, you know, your spouse is looking at other women and, you know, it's harmless. At least he's coming home to you and it almost belittles it. But it was so refreshing to have someone for once put the word to the pain that I already felt. At that time, did you start listening to the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast? You know, I wish I could pinpoint exactly. It was several things. I remember delving into stories and reading, and I can't remember if I actually clicked on a podcast, but I do remember there was stories that were told. So I remember reading those and going, yes, yes, like I totally get where you're coming from. All of our podcast episodes are transcribed so that you can either listen to them on Apple Podcasts or you can listen to them from our website or you can actually read them from our website. So for people who would prefer to read, they're there. After finding us, you started thinking about the word abuse. Was betrayal trauma recovery also your first introduction to considering that what you had been experiencing was abusive? Yeah. I think to actually hear it put that way is also along the same lines as the trauma. It almost goes hand in hand. It helps you to realize that this is something that is happening to you. It is something that hurts you. I think we endure it for better or for worse. All this falls under the worst part. So you don't really categorize it as abuse because who wants to I'm abused, you know, who wants to feel that way or think that way or even accept the title. Once you start considering that you're abused and things are falling apart for you, what happens now? I think actually the separation is what was started by me realizing that this was abusive. Because once you actually step outside of looking at it like this is for better or for worse this is my bed I need to sleep in it and you actually step outside of it and you realize that you're being abused you're able to recognize all of the fallout from being abused and how it affects you how it affects your children because of the decisions you make to make it work and so I definitely know that As I started waking up to the truth of what was going on, instead of it being, okay, I'm just going to stand by my man and I'm going to pray for him and I'm going to be that helpmeet I'm supposed to be, to realizing I'm being abused by this person. And through me, he's also abusing our children because it's giving false narrative to what marriage really God intended it to be. Do you think that you would have been able to recognize the extent of the abusive behaviors had you not separated? No, absolutely not. Talk about why. I I agree. After my ex got arrested, I had this period of no contact. And that was when everything became very clear to me. And I thought, if I wouldn't have had that separation time, I don't know if I ever would have recognized it. So will you talk about that for yourself and how that period of separation helped you kind of come out of that fog? Well, I think it's probably indicative of all abuse victims. When you are in the abuse, you go into survival mode. You do what is necessary for the love of your family, your home, your children to make peace, 
And in making that peace, you absorb the abuse. You take it, take it and try to make it. And there isn't healing. You can't heal when you're, you can't even look at healing or even look at what's really happening to you when you're just surviving. Yeah. I think the other thing is when you're being abused, you can't see that you're being abused. It's kind of a catch 22, right? Because if they're kind to you in a moment of grooming and they're nice and they say they love you, it, that does not feel like abuse. That feels pretty good. It doesn't feel like grooming at the time. It is grooming, but you don't recognize it as part of the abuse. You think, oh, he's Jekyll and Hyde. You don't realize that the good guy is actually still the bad guy. Does that make sense? Right. Oh, absolutely. To, for you to say the phrase Jekyll and Hyde, I can't even tell you how many times I use that phrase when I would talk to my friends or family about what would go on, you know, because they would see him at church or in social situations. And he was so helpful and so like loving towards me and the kids. And I would say that many times. I'm like, that's, you know, Jekyll or Hyde. I don't know which one's the evil one. I don't know. But that is many, many times how I described it because, and what you said too, about not being able to recognize the abuse. I, I think when you're being told by this person, oh, I'm so sorry, and I love you, and I don't mean to hurt you, and I'll do better next time, and I recognize this isn't good, and I'm not easy to live with. Like, those were the things that I was told. That kind of almost puts it on me. You know, when it's so manipulative to tell somebody, you know, I know I'm not easy to live with, but you know, you're so loving and you're so kind and you're so, you're so forgiving and encouraging. It puts it back on you. So it's like, oh, okay. So I need to be more loving. I need to be more encouraging. And you get to be a monster. Going to take a short break here to talk about Trauma Mama Husband Drama, my picture book for helping people to help them understand the trauma that you're experiencing from abuse. I had a really interesting conversation with a clergy person the other day, and he was talking about, you know, how they can repent and through Jesus, everyone can change and, you know, the things that we hear all the time. And I said, yes, I agree with you, but you need to know what he needs to repent of. He doesn't just need to repent of looking at porn. He needs to repent of abuse. That's really the heart of this is that for a woman, she experiences all of the things that, you know, the emotional, the psychological abuse, the sexual coercion, the abuse that is pornography use, that is quote unquote sex addiction. And Trauma Mama Husband Drama helps people understand that. So you can go to our books page, btr.org slash books. We have a curated list there of all the books we recommend. Any book, you just click on it, it takes you to Amazon. So please click on Trauma Mama Husband Drama. It'll send you to Amazon, put it in your cart. And then once you get it, circle back to Amazon and write a five-star review. Every single one of those reviews helps isolated women find us. And even if they don't buy the book, they're made aware of this podcast, which is free to everyone. Okay, now back to the conversation. It's also very misogynistic because the wife is to sacrifice her happiness, her needs, her interests, her whatever in order to make sure that he's a decent person. That's just crazy. So what happens next? I'm assuming, and tell me if I'm wrong here, that he starts to groom again while you're 
separated here? Because we see one of two things. When women set a boundary or they separate, they either get one of two things. They start grooming. Oh, I'm going to be better. You know, I'm sorry. I'll get into a program, you know, something like that. Or they just literally like give up and like abandon their family and don't try to do anything. So I'm guessing it was one of those two things. Maybe I'm wrong. I can't wait to hear. I actually had a mixture of the two. At first, it was abandonment. And it was abandonment in finances. And it was abandonment in just spending time with the kids. And it was me who was spinning my wheels. Like, okay, we need to make sure we get together. And the kids want to see you. And and it would be him who, you know, he had headache, stomach ache. He was tired. The week was too long. And, you know, the kids were desperate to want to connect with him. And then when he would call to talk to them, he would call maybe once a month and I would mention something to him. Hey, you know, like you probably should call the kids like every other day. Like you're not here. And he said, he actually had audacity to say that he doesn't like calling them because they barely seem interested in talking to him. Because it was all about him. Is that what you're saying? Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because they're not asking him about how his day was. Right. He said they don't talk to me. They don't answer my questions. They don't even seem interested in talking to me. It just feels like a waste of my time. My time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I remember we did. I, of course I came back with, this isn't about you. You're supposed to be asking them about their day, how they're doing, what's going on. Like, this isn't supposed to be fulfilling for you. It's you showing that you're interested in their life as a father and you're trying to be there as any way you can, but no. Yeah. They don't have the capacity to understand that. I don't think. No. And so then he would vacillate between the two. I didn't know which one I was going to get, to be honest. There would be times when, you know, because we had a lot of uh, financial agreements between us and there would be times as long as he didn't feel slated by me in any way, things were fine. And, child support would come and helping with shoes and school and this kind of stuff would come but I stepped on his toes wrong and then he just would go turn like a spoiled child and not speak to me and not help with money and so it was continuously abusive and manipulative even though we were separated. Post-separation abuse is really common. I wouldn't say it's really common I'd say it's the norm. A lot of people will say, oh, you know, all you need to do when you have an abuser is to get divorced, but they don't realize that there is ongoing abuse even after divorce or during a separation that's very difficult. So did you decide to get divorced at this time or when did you make the decision that you were going to get divorced? And how did you make that decision, right? Because that's a very difficult decision for a Christian woman who has been trying to quote unquote help her husband for all these years. So yeah, let's talk about all those factors. I didn't come by it easy. That's absolutely for sure. I think it probably from the point that I first separated, because we separated twice. And from the point that I first separated to the point that I knew that I was done, it was about three years. So there was quite a bit of just being so unsure. One of the things that I brought up numerous times with different people that I took counsel with was that I don't want to be displeasing to God. I know that I've made this covenant. What do I do with this covenant, this promise that I made? 
And I just, oh, that just tore me up. Was there a way that you resolved that? How are you feeling about that now? Yeah. Well, my story is a little bit different in the fact that it just didn't end with him constantly being abusive with porn and being narcissistic or anything like that. My story ends with, at the time that I found this out, we had already been separated for a solid year, but I definitely was on the path to divorce. But I will admit, pre-finding out what I found out, we had made the decision between us because we didn't want to drag the kids through a court process. We didn't want to bring the government into our life and our children's lives. We had decided to stay separated until the kids were of age and then divorce then. So we figured we could make this work between us, figure out finances between us. And I really think that 99% of that was going to be me giving a lot because out of love for my kids because he really was during that year it really was a nightmare it was a nightmare to deal with i mean there were months when we just decided not to do visitation because he would have mental meltdowns and mental temper tantrums and you know he didn't want to come to church and the kids wanted him at church and it was always something with him he was such a child. I dreaded visitation weekends because I knew I would just have to put up with him until it was over. And after it was over, I always had a headache. I wouldn't allow him to come to our home because the home that we had when we before we separated, it was just not right. The atmosphere was not right. And I knew it was him. And so I wanted a space where the children were secure and safe and that being our home, I never allowed him to come to our home. All of our visitations were at a restaurant or movie or park or something like that. If you could go back in time, do you feel like that let's not involve people, let's just try to settle this between ourselves was a bad idea would you do that again or were you like it was okay it turned out okay or were you like man I should have just gone for it back then I mean what are you thinking about that now I will say there's a lot of elements of bringing in help that I had a lot of preconceived ideas with Hmm, okay so talk about that like I really believed CPS was evil to be honest for our listeners who don't know, she's talking about Child Protective Services, which is a government agency, right? That is supposedly supposed to protect kids, but we have heard some horror stories. So, yes, I know what you're talking about. Right. I really believed that, oh, no, like I'm going to invite the bad guy in and this is going to be horrible. And so, I, of course, I was mortified and I didn't ask for them once we proceeded the way we had to proceed she was assigned to me. So there was a lot of things that are now looking back where I see they happened the way they had to happen. And I, I can't sing her praises enough. She has been as close to a friend as she can be because of her professional position. So you went from thinking that CPS was evil and you were terrified of them 
to being very grateful for their help. Absolutely. Absolutely. She jumped right in and I mean, she knew the games almost like the back of her hand that the games that would be played and she had resources available to alleviate those places and offered them before I asked for them. We're going to continue Miss C's story next week, so stay tuned. If this podcast is helpful to you, please support it. Go to btr.org, scroll down to the bottom, and click on support the podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there.